Welcome to It's Broadway, bitch. I'm Alana. I'm the Broadway. I'm Christina. I'm the bitch. This is a podcast where I, Alana, the theater expert, explain the plot of a musical to Christina, the willfully ignorant. Christina will weigh in on her initial thoughts. Then we'll go watch the musical with varying degrees of sobriety. We then reconvene and Christina gives us the hot take. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Our intro just played. And <laughs> wasn't it great? So what are we doing today? We are doing a show that is actually very near and dear to my heart. We are doing The Music Man. Specifically, I don't know exactly the year that the newest movie came out, but there is a movie that came out in like 1952. We're not doing that movie. We're doing the newer movie that stars uh, Matthew Broderick and Christian Chenoweth. <laughs> I don't know who either of those people are, and I have no idea what this movie is. Oh, you're gonna. Uh, Do you like Wicked? I do. Kristen Chenoweth plays Glinda. Oh, okay. She was the original Glinda. Well, what an annoying voice. Yes, that's her thing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That you have accurately captured Kristen Chenoweth's entire aesthetic. (laughs) I think before we get into this, we should say this is another special episode. We'll, we will have a guest for the second half, and we will talk more about her when she gets on, but Isabel Lane, she will be in this with us. She's a good friend and sorority sister of ours. Yes, our wee bab. We she, love her. A good bean. She is, uh, like Alana, an enthusiast in the theater community, and constantly shames me about my lack of knowledge. <laughs> um, and she specifically requested that if we did The Music Man, because she hasn't seen it, that we would do it with her. So how do you attract so many people that have this one specific interest? I have you no idea. Because me specifically, like, I have no desire to be part of anything that is, like, entertainment. And let's just take, like, our sorority, like, big little structure. Yeah. So you have me, who's super uh-huh. into it. Uh-huh. We have my big, Tessa, who's also super into it. She is not she has not made it her career so she's more of like a recreational musical person mm-hmm. but she is very much interested in that too we jam well, she like did. legally blonde like yeah. stuff so we have you you're big and then isabel's my little isabel has two littles and both of them are in theater <laughs> so i don't know how the genes skip you <laughs> but thank you for dealing with it <laughs> Anyway, I'm surrounded by theater people and I'm drowning. (laughs) So tell me about the music, man. Yeah, it just, something about it just like hits me in a good little spot. It's written and I think generally composed by Meredith Wilson, who I don't think has really done anything else. But yeah, it's something about it is very nostalgic to me. My parents like it. I watched this movie a lot, like specifically the made-for-TV version. Okay. <laughs> That's where the cast list is fucking stacked. Okay. Um, but are you ready? No. For, for a plot? Never give it to me, though. <laughs> like a virgin on her wedding night. <laughs> so, um, here we go. The Music Man. Act one. In the early summer of 1912, I love Wikipedia, <laughs> Aboard a train leaving Rock Island, Illinois, which I believe is a landlocked state. 
Well, what do I know? Charlie Cowell and the other traveling salesmen debate whether innovations are making their profession more difficult. And they sing an absolute banger of a song. Uh, this is in quotes. Professor, end quote, Harold Hill is raised as one whose sales skills make him immune from such changes. Charlie says that Hill is a con man who promises to form boys marching bands then skips town after taking payments for instruments and uniforms. Which is a pretty decent scam, in my opinion. Because <laughs> that, that shit's expensive. That shit's fucking expensive. It is. <laughs> Upon the train's arrival in River City, Iowa, a passenger leaves the train with a suitcase labeled Professor Harold Hill. So he was on the train the whole time. <laughs> after townspeople of River City describe their reserved chip-on-the-shoulder attitude, the song Iowa Stubborn, which fucking slaps, you're going to relate to that song a lot, I think. Harold sees his old friend and shill. What's a shill? S-H-I-L-L. Um, according, <laughs> according to Wikipedia, a shill, also called a plant or a stooge, is a person who publicly helps or gives credibility to a person or organization without disclosing that they have a close relationship with the person or organization. Oh, so like your parent. It's just like- I guess. Shills can carry out their operations in the areas of media, journalism, marketing, politics, sports, etc. Great. Shout oh out God. to Marshall. Matt. So Harold sees his old friend and shill, <laughs> Marcellus Washburn, who has quote unquote gone legit and now lives in the town. Marcellus tells Harold that Marion Peru, the librarian who gives piano lessons, is the only trained musician in town. He also informs Hill that a new pool table was just delivered to the town's local billiard parlor. So to launch his scheme, Harold convinces River City parents of the trouble that can come from a pool table. He sings the song, You Got Trouble, which is a very heavily parodied song in pop culture. If you haven't heard that song, I'm sure you've heard anybody make any kind of like spoof of it. Okay. How much of The Simpsons have you watched? Not very much. Have you ever seen the episode with the monorail? No. Um, it's maybe the greatest episode of <laughs> the entirety of The Simpsons. It is an episode that is purely spoofing the music man, and it's very good. Listeners, if you're out there, watch this, the monorail episode of The Simpsons. It's very good. Harold follows Marion home, mm, attempting to flirt with her, mm, but she ignores him. <laughs> I love how it's my job to comment on the plot in this entire time you're commenting on the plot. Look, I, this show, I, it's, it's a problematic fave for me. That's, we're going to have to reach out to the Fanti podcast. <laughs> but she ignores him, is the point okay. of it. Okay. Marion gives a piano lesson to a little girl named Amaryllis while arguing with her widowed mother about her high standards where men are concerned. How <laughs> dare. And then she mentions the man who followed her home in the song called Piano Lesson slash If You Don't Mind My Saying So. Marion's self-conscious 10-year-old brother Winthrop arrives home. You've seen Shameless, right? I've seen like bits and pieces. You know the brother Ian, the redheaded one? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He plays this little boy when he was like 10 years old in the movie that we're about to watch. You get is to that see. good or is it bad? It's, I mean, it's not like a stretch of a role. <laughs> it's no Edo Annie. Oh God. <laughs> like any cute 10 year old can do it. Got it. Much like Edo Annie. 
So uh, Marion's self-conscious 10-year-old brother Winthrop arrives home. Amaryllis, who secretly likes Winthrop, but teases him about his lisp. Okay. <laughs> Again, with like the cruelty towards someone you have affection for. Asks Marion to whom she should say goodnight to on the evening star, since she doesn't have a sweetheart. Marion tells her to just say goodnight to her someone, because we don't know who it is yet. And she sings the song, Goodnight My Someone. I feel like I'm going to hate this so much. I feel like so I'm going to hate It's so not much. about the plot. I don't like this show because of the plot. <laughs> <It's>, historically, <laughs> when you have given me something that doesn't have a plot... <laughs> And you're like, it's not good because of the plot. I'm like, oh, great. I'm going to love it, maybe. And then I come back and I hate it. Well, so, we'll see. The threatening aura. Alana <laughs> <laughs> just said, we'll see. So the next day, Mayor Shin, who's played by Victor Garber, who is probably a name that you don't know, but is a face that you will know. So the name sounds familiar, and I'm sure I will know the face as soon as I see it. He plays... In the Legally Blonde movie, the original one, he plays Callahan. Isn't he also, isn't Callahan also the Brandy Cinderella? Correct. He plays Brandy Cinderella. I didn't even put those two things together until literally right now. (laughs) (laughs) Victor Garber is Brandy as Cinderella. (laughs) I'm very upset about those two roles. Continue while I just like boil in turmoil silently. So the next day, Mayor Shin, played by Victor Garber, and his overbearing <laughs> wife, are you ready for this name? Eulali McKechnie Shin. Eulali McKechnie Shin. All, all of the names in this. I, I have refrained from like commenting thus far, but I can no longer. And she's played by Molly Shannon, and it's very good. Molly Shannon is a face that you will recognize. She was on SNL for a really long time. Okay. So, overbearing wife, Eulali McKechnie Shin, <laughs> lead the festivities for Independence Day at the high school gym, but are interrupted by a firecracker set off by troublemaker Tommy Gillis. <laughs> oh, Tommy. Harold takes the stage and announces to the townspeople that he will prevent sin and corruption from the, t- from the pool table, by forming a boys band, so he sings the You Got Trouble reprise, and then 76 Trombones, which again, absolute banger, a song that you have probably heard in your life because it's prevalent in pop culture and spoofed a lot. For some reason, I'm like just drawing a lot of parallels between like Puritan culture that really um, demonizes any kind of like enjoyment and like gambling and music and so it's like funny to me that he's like don't do billiards which is a game and like often associated with gambling instead join this band and make music which in like puritan reasoning is like related to the devil's worship (laughs) well it's not puritans but it's not like the devil's jazz music it's not like the devil's rock music. It's marching band. It's not band. like the devil's lettuce. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's like a children's marching band. <laughs> I understand, but it's like the, not the Amish, but like there are religious sects that like actively think that music is like. They're it's, not in that. I know, but I'm drawing <laughs> these parallels. So Mayor Shin, who owns the billiard parlor, <laughs> conveniently, tells the bickering school board to get Harold's credentials. But Harold gets them to sing as a barbershop quartet to distract them. Ah, yes. The classic, what is it, sleight of hand? That's also how I 
avoid conflict. <laughs> I can confirm. <laughs> Harold also sets up Zanita, the mayor's eldest daughter, with Tommy Gillis and persuades Tommy to work as his assistant. After another rejection by Marion, Harold is determined to win her. And he sings actually a song where the lyrics are bad, but the song, the music of it slaps. <laughs> it's called The Sadder But Wiser Girl. I'm going to hate every single thing about this. That's your prerogative. <laughs> you say that, but your eyes are not in you're line gonna, with your words. No, you're going to watch it and you're going to know why I like it. Yeah, I know. You're going to be like, yeah, that checks out. <laughs> I'm going to watch it and it's going to be like, this is incredible. And I'm going to be like, my child, you are disowned. <laughs> we might collectively disown you. <laughs> First you and Matt, now you and Isabel have nothing left. <laughs> so the town ladies are very excited about the band and the ladies dance committee that Harold plans to form. Because he's on the committee now. Okay. <laughs> he mentions Marion and they imply, falsely as it turns out, that she had an affair with a now deceased miser who willed the library building to the town but left all of the books to Marion. They warn Harold that she advocates, quote-unquote, dirty books by Chaucer, Rabelais, and Balzac. They are authors. I mean, I don't know any of their works, but I just I like don't either, but I know that Balzac. they're authors, and they write dirty books, according to these ladies. I mean, the last one is Balzac. <laughs> the school board arrives to review Harold's credentials, but he leads them in song because they're a barbershop quartet now, and he slips away. <laughs> Why are songs like drugs? <laughs> <laughs> that's sort of the whole, sh that's the whole shtick. Roofies them with music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. The next day, Harold walks into the library to woo Marion in earnest. And then he sings the song, Marion, the librarian, which mother fucking slaps. That sounds very familiar to me for some reason. You, it, it's, it's in pop culture. I should know. It's iconic as fuck. Okay. It's a song that shouldn't be like a production dance number, but it is. <laughs> For a moment, she forgets her decorum and dances with Harold and the teenagers. Wow. Marion, pull it together. Harold, are you ready for this? No. <laughs> Harold kisses her. When she tries to slap him, she accidentally hits Tommy Gillis instead. Homie, why? <laughs> With Tommy's help, Harold signs up all the boys in town to be in his band, including Winthrop. Mrs. Peru likes Harold and tries to find out why Marion is not interested. <laughs> Marion describes her ideal man. She sings the song, My White Knight, which is kind of a snoozer, but you know, you win some, you lose some. <laughs> she sets out to give Mayor Shin evidence against Harold that she found in the Indiana State Education Journal, but they are interrupted by the arrival of the Wells Fargo wagon which delivers the band instruments. And that song slaps too. That's definitely a song you've heard, the Wells Fargo wagon. When Winthrop forgets to be shy and self-conscious because he is so happy about his new cornet, Marion begins to see Harold in a new light. She tears the incriminating page out of the journal before giving the book to Marion. That's act one. That's act one? That is act one. I'm so angry. <laughs> Give me act two. <laughs> 
The ladies rehearse their classical dance in the school gym while the school board practices their quartet for the ice cream social. It's the time of ice cream socials. I love an ice cream social. (laughs) So Marcellus and the town's teenagers interrupt the ladies' practice, taking over the gym as they dance, which is a dance and a song called the Shapoopy, which doesn't sound like it should slap, but it does. It sounds like it should not slap at all. (laughs) Yeah, you're right to think that. The Shapoopy sounds poopy. Yes. I'm unsure why that was the, the word, that was the nonsense word that they chose, but it is what it, it is. It was the 50s. They picked it, they committed. <laughs> so Harold grabs Marion to dance with her, and all the teenagers join in. Regarding Winthrop's cornet, Marion later questions Harold about his claim that, quote unquote, you don't have to bother with the notes. So Marion's like, are you a real music person? <laughs> and he says... He explains this is what he calls the think system. And he arranges to call on Marion to discuss it. Okay. The town ladies ask Marion to join their dance committee since she was, quote unquote, so dear dancing the Shapoopy with with Professor Harold Hill. (laughs) They have reversed their opinions about her books. And they eagerly tell her that the professor told us to read those books and we simply adored them all. (laughs) Okay. That night, the school board tries to collect Harold's credentials again, but he gets them to sing again and he slips away. Marion, meanwhile, is sitting on her front porch thinking of Harold, as one does. Listen, there's nothing else to do. What are you going to do? Watch the radio? Winthrop returns home after spending time with Harold and tells Marion and Mrs. Peru about Harold's hometown, which is a song that called Gary, Indiana. As Marion waits alone for Harold, traveling salesman Charlie Cowell comes back onto the scene. He enters with evidence against Harold, hoping to tell Mayor Shin. He only has a few minutes before his train leaves, but stops to flirt with Marion. She delays him so he won't have time to deliver the evidence, eventually kissing him. This is absolutely bonkers. As the train blows, she pushes him away. Charlie angrily tells Marion that Harold has a girl in, quote unquote, every county in Illinois, and he's taken it from every one of them. And that's 102 counties, bitch. Oh my God. (laughs) It being sex? Yes. Oh, okay. That's a lot of sexual partners. Yeah, right? (laughs) How often? Like, that's so much traveling. Yeah, he sells a lot of boy bands. Every single county? That's a lot of counties. That's a lot yeah. of like, middle of nowhere. Seems like he should be expanding out of the state. Yeah. You would think, because a lot of counties, like, neighbor... All counties neighbor each other. <laughs> <laughs> Every county has a neighbor. You know? So, get ready. <laughs> <laughs> How is this not over? <laughs> it's almost over. Okay. Harold arrives, and after he reminds her of the untrue rumors he's heard about her... She convinces herself that Charlie invented everything he told her. They agree to meet at the footbridge, where Marion tells him the difference he's made in her life, and they sing like a dumb love song. Marcellus interrupts and tells Harold that the uniforms have arrived. Okay. He urges Harold to take the money and run, but Harold refuses to leave, insisting, quote-unquote, I've come up through the ranks, and I'm not resigning without my commission. Ew. (laughs) He returns to Marion, who tells him that she's known since three days after he arrived that he is a fraud. 
Harold earlier claimed to have graduated from the Gary Conservatory in 1905, but Gary, Indiana was not founded until 1906. <laughs> Ooh, crazy. Because she loves him. <laughs> she gives him the incriminating page out of the Indiana State Educational Journal. She leaves, promising to see him later at the sociable, which is a lot of confusing messages in there. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot happening. With his schemes for the boys' band and Marion proceeding even better than planned, Harold confidently sings 76 Stramones. <laughs> As he overhears Marion singing Goodnight, My Someone, Harold suddenly realizes that he is in love with Marion. What? Suddenly? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Meanwhile, Charlie Cowell, who has missed his train, arrives at the ice cream social and denounces Harold Hill as a fraud. The townspeople begin an agitated search for Harold. Winthrop is heartbroken and tells Harold that he wishes Harold never came to River City. But Marion tells Winthrop that she believes everything Harold ever said, for it did come true in the way every kid in town talked and acted that summer. She and Winthrop urge Harold to get away. He chooses to stay and tells Marion that he never really fell in love until he met her. Then they sing a song again. The constable then handcuffs Harold and leads him away. Mayor Shin leads a meeting in the high school gym to decide what to do with Harold, asking, where's the band? Where's the band? Marion defends Harold. Tommy enters as a drum major, followed by the kids in uniform with their instruments. How Something... is there, there entirely too much plot and too little plot? So something, just like a cute little detail that the Wikipedia plot is leaving out that uh, punishment that they do toss around for a pretty long time for Harold Hill is tarring and feathering. Oh, that would suck. <laughs> Wouldn't it just? <laughs> they kick it around for a pretty long time. They're like pretty set on it before Tommy Gillis comes in as a drum major. <laughs> That's horrifying. <laughs> okay. Marion urges Harold to lead the River City Boys Band in Beethoven's Minuet in G. Despite the boys' limited musical ability, the parents and the audience are nonetheless enraptured by the sight of their children playing music. Even Mayor Shin is won over, and the townspeople cheer. Harold is released into Marion's arms. They sing the finale, and that's the end. I'm so angry right now. I'm so mad. I don't want to watch this. It's cute! The dancing is very good. It's very endearing. I don't care. This sounds horrible. Um, this is everything that I hate about everything. There is a revival that, if COVID had not happened, would be playing right now on Broadway. <laughs> starring Hugh Jackman as Harold Hill. And Sutton Foster as Marion. Wow. That was supposed to be playing right now. My mother and I were planning a trip. How was I not included in this? Do you want to go? <laughs> yes! I'm trying to become part of your family. I'm trying to get your parents to adopt me. No, it was so, like, hotly anticipated that the Winter Garden Theater kicked out Beetlejuice. They forced Beetlejuice to close early so that oh. they could get Music Man into their theater. Oh, like, that's insane. how badly other theaters wanted this. That's insane. I hate it. So yeah, that's the music man. That'd be great. I have nothing um, else. I was gonna say I'm loving the energy. 
Um, I just, it's, it's gonna be a slightly, not slightly misogynistic play well, yeah. with a man who's gonna be touted as a hero who is rescued needlessly by a woman who is way too good for him and everyone's coming to realizations that don't matter. So. That's a great attitude. <laughs> <laughs> Great, so, well, can't wait till next week. Yeah, when we talk about it with our pal Isabel. Yeah, she's a gem. You guys will like her. Yeah, we will give you the hot takes. So, Christina, I'll see you in a week. Um, yep. Our listeners, I'll see you in 10 seconds. <laughs> hey, listeners, Alana and I make no money from this currently, and we would like to because we have fun doing it. And in order to keep up our subscriptions and watch things legally, we got to pay for them. So here's an ad of someone who does not sponsor us, but who, of someone we would like to sponsor us because we either already use their products or want to try them. Here's the deal, fam. I'm not sponsored by Caliper CBD products, but I sure would like to be. And let me tell you why. So your girl has some issues with chronic pain. I clench my jaw at night and I grind the shit out of my teeth. So when I wake up in the morning, the pain that I feel in my jaw is, as they say in the meme, astronomical. And here's the struggle that I have. So when you wake up in the morning, the first thing you want to do, because my jaw hurts like a motherfucker, is, you know, pop some Advil. But here's the thing. When you take Advil on an empty stomach, it makes your tummy kind of hurt. And then that's my whole day. Then at the expense of the lack of my pain, my tummy kind of hurts unless I eat a whole breakfast right when I wake up. And you know, you need some time to wake up. You got, you got things to do. So I've been using Caliper CBD that I heard of from the Try Guys podcast. Uh, Keith Habersberger actually is the one that turned me onto it. So Caliper CBD is instead of a tincture or like an oil, it's a powder. So it absorbs a little better in whatever. You can put it on top of food. You can put it in liquid. I put it in my coffee every morning. I'm actually drinking it right now. And the beauty of CBD is that it's sort of the relaxation and pain management benefits without the high that comes with THC or marijuana on, on its own, which I really appreciate. I'm not big on getting high, but I am big on getting relaxed. So Caliper, if you're listening, I love your products. I drink it in my coffee every morning. I'd love a little money so that I can tell other people about it. Thanks. Listen, I'm busy and I am a bad human. Uh, not like in a morality sense, just like in the survival sense. And HelloFresh has actually been really helpful with that. Currently, we are in a pandemic and going outside is scary. But also when you're trying to take care of yourself, sometimes you don't have the energy to think about how to cook something at the end of the day. And HelloFresh really helps with that. So listen, HelloFresh, please sponsor us because I already use your services. And it's fucking great. I love it. Everything I've ever had was delicious. And um, you're welcome. So welcome back. We have a friend today in the studio. Yeah. Hello. Uh, guest, who are you? Who the fuck are you? Oh, who the fuck am I? I'm Isabel Lane. <laughs> I'm out here in Arkansas. I met Christina and Alana in college. Uh, we became friends there. We're our little sorority. Um, <laughs> and Alana and I did theater together. So yeah, that's how we know each other. Yeah, she is part of our, like, you know how Greek life has those, like, families? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I, like Christina's my little, and then Isabel is Christina's little. So yeah, that's we're all exactly part of correct. the same incestuous family because <laughs> we're sisters <laughs> and also mothers. And 
<laughs> I am Grandmother. I give birth to all of you. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite thing is Christina just sending me a text like four weeks after we've talked. We haven't talked at all, and I'll just say child. No context. <laughs> no, nothing else. Just the one word. It's all caps always. <laughs> but yeah, we all watched The Music Man this week. Indeed, indeed. Um, we did. I am so excited. Uh, <laughs> okay, Isabel, what did you know about The Music Man before? How did you feel about it, just in general? Well, I I watched this with my parents, because on Thursdays I spend with my parents, and so I was like, let's watch Music Man. And I told them that I'd never watched it before, and my mom was really offended, because she was like, you watched this a lot as a kid, but I swear to God, I remember none of it. It was interesting, because they had seen the, like, the original one, like, the first movie that came out. Yeah, the mm-hmm. one in, like, the 60s. Yeah. yeah, so they were telling me all the stuff that, like was new to this movie that they'd never seen before like that first like rap kind of song yeah rock (laughs) island not in the first movie (laughs) which is dumb because it's in the musical my first impression of this was that it was just like really it felt like we were on like i was watching a show that was on stage it didn't feel like a musical made for a movie if that makes sense yeah and it was a tv movie which i learned recently yeah it was like made for tv specifically right interesting interesting so matt didn't really like it he he basically was like this is an hour too long most of it is just them dancing in the middle of a song but i really enjoyed it (laughs) oh you did Christina. I really had a good time with it, which was not something that I expected. I went into it thinking I was going to like think it was a giant waste of my time. Oh my god, I'm so happy. <laughs> Alana is crying. <laughs> oh yay! This is so wholesome. <laughs> because I just I love I know that it has its problems, but I do love it just so unironically, and I was so ready to hear you shit on the thing that I love. <laughs> And I was just going to take it. <laughs> I was going to be like, it's for the content. It's for the comedy. It's for the people. I'm going to just grin and bear it. But no, there are a lot of problems with it. But there's all, it's just so enjoyable. And I, it doesn't make sense because it, nothing about it tracks with what I like. It is very <laughs> prolonged. But all of the dance numbers are like big spectacles, which I do like. It had, is her name Kristen Chenoweth? Yeah, I cast five list is fucking stacked. Yeah, yeah. the cast list is insane. I didn't recognize her face, but as soon as I heard her voice, I was like, "She's Glinda in Wicked from the That's Broadway her. production." Yeah, <laughs> and it has Ferris Bueller, who has always looked exactly like he does when he's forty-seven. Yeah. <laughs> that's correct <laughs> I always, um, every time i see him i just think of mr gadget i like can't get it is he mr gadget yeah oh my god i didn't realize that Dr. gadget yeah i'm so that's very upsetting honestly i hate that so it much. is i can't look at it like when he ever he's in anything else i'm just like Inspector gadget. <laughs> i did i think about 10 minutes after we recorded part one of this i then rented ferris bueller and watched it because he was on my mind <laughs> And now you'll never think of Ferris Bueller without thinking of Professor Gadget. Inspector Gadget. Professor Gadget. <laughs> Senor Gadget. Yeah. Well, I thought the the rap at the beginning was super weird, though. What do you talk? Look, what do you talk? What do you talk? What do you talk? I, I think it's great. I think it's fantastic. <laughs> I was... I think like, the reason... like how that like parallel next to the like cheap 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 yeah. yeah, I thought those were like... I almost wanted to hear them next to each other. <laughs> 
The music in this show is very, very good. It slaps so hard and all of it can be remixed into like house music. Like that would slap so hard. I think it has some of like the intricacies of like Sondheim lyrics, but they're catchy. You know how like Into the Woods, that sort of thing where the lyrics are dense. It has a lot of that, but it's like perky and you got more like big band, like John Philip Sousa behind you. Yeah. Um, they're also really complicated. Yeah. Like you miss a lot of words if you're not paying close yeah. attention. All of the words are like fast slurred together and like you're going through a song and it'll rewind a bit, but it's always like an abridged version of the previous verse. So like they yeah. change the words. So you're never going to get like a new version of it, except for the the like, iconic like reprise of the trom- 76 trombones or whatever. Oh yeah. Yeah. Part of the reason that I really enjoy it is because it it is just, you know, when we watched a very Potter musical on it and you're like, you will see who I am as a person inside of this. And I was like, I get it, but you're funnier than this. And you're like, well, that's not fair. It was a foundational garment for me. Yeah. I see so much of you in this. And Don't you just though? <laughs> all of the big dance breaks, I was ready to like, be like, this is a waste of my time. And, and Matt did feel that way, but I was like, this is like, effort all of this is very enjoyable and very like almost slapstick choreography yeah it's Um, really fun yeah so you don't have to think too hard about it like the whole show it's just fun it's just a fun show yeah um i mean i i don't like the plot but i don't it doesn't exist for me to like the plot yeah it it exists exclusively to have like weird songs with really like it also it came out in like this it came out in the 60s you know it just that's i also did i thought there was i thought there were notable things about the plot though like there was some commentary well i actually want to like talk about a detail that i heard at the beginning that i was like what they're like put those cigarettes away they're illegal in this state what yeah i heard that too and i was like were cigarettes illegal in like 1920 iowa yeah were they (laughs) i guess they were probably i Um, mean prohibition was happening right it's it's earlier than that it's like turn of the century oh you're right because they do have beer in the bar with like a ton of head on that beer don't misconstrue my words (laughs) um and just the hemlines were too long it was too much, like, hitting well, just at mid-calf, you know? It was very interesting, because I I think I'm a very poor person to, like, address costuming, because I don't know enough about, like, historical fashion. But, like, it was very intentional, and I really enjoyed it. I felt like a lot of, like, because it is, like, a Disney film, right? Like, Disney productions went through this? Whatever. They paid, like, a good amount of attention to the costuming and, like, the way that, like, all of the older ladies, especially, like, Miss Marion, she had, like, super constricting clothing. Like, not just, like, form-fitting, but, like, buttoned up and sturdy and stiff. Um, And all, like, the kids and all the people who were, like, a little bit more interesting had, like, much bigger hats, much more colorful clothes, much more swishier skirts. And, like, we see, like, a slow evolution of her skirts getting, like, slightly looser and her clothes getting a little more exciting as the plot progresses. But, yeah, I, I was like, oh, I enjoy the costuming it just, it brings back a nostalgia for me. Something about it, like, even though it takes place, like, turn of the century, something about it feels really modern. Something about it feels really timeless And I don't know if it's, uh, Christine and I texted about it a lot, about how it does have, like, the Disneyland Main Street feel, which yeah. is also a similar, like, it's meant to be old-timey times, but confusedly so like you don't really know what year it is and even though they do say specific years something about it also feels like it could have happened like yesterday 
Yeah. yeah. I also think that in the 2003 movie, they do like pepper in a few cast members of color. Like one. You can be like, cat, you can see them. <laughs> yeah. You, that's the thing. Yeah. It's like they had like the ladies. There was like one. There's, there's one, one lady. There's yeah. like one kid. Yeah. Honestly, yeah, the two people I would fuck. The other thing I was like, I didn't think that anyone. Okay. You got to continue that thought. <laughs> yeah, the two people that. I would fuck in this is the black man on the train in the beginning. Who's hot as fucking hell? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Tommy Gillis. That was a twenty-four-year-old man playing a seventeen-year-old. Oh, you're talking about the the kid who they were like he's a bad kid. Yeah, Gillis. I thought oh, he was yeah. so cute. <laughs> yeah, I was not convinced of his age. They're like he's just a little rascal. I'm like, and I'm like that twenty-eight-year-old man. <laughs> no, the only age I was convinced of was Winthrop. That was the only <laughs> one that I was like, you are the age that you say. <laughs> oh my gosh, Winthrop. Do you know that that's Ian Gallagher? Yes, the kid from ah! Shameless. <laughs> the verbatim text that we have is Alana sent that to me, and I was like, "Who knew he would grow up to suck dicks on TV?" <laughs> <laughs> what a man! <laughs> anyway, just to bring it back a little bit. <laughs> um, do we have any other thoughts about Rock Island? The rapping on the train. We meet Charlie, who sucks but is perfectly cast. The guy with the crazy eyes. <laughs> yes. Um. <laughs> Um, hill, 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 hill. No, it's great. Everything about it is great. So <laughs> I call his suitcases <laughs> Professor Harold Hill. <laughs> <laughs> like that's so unnecessary. I love it. And he's just like uh, playing cards in the corner. <laughs> the other thing that I was gonna say is that even though Christian Chenoweth, it took a minute, but the wheels turned, um, is like a cute lady. I felt almost no one else in this production like visually attractive. <laughs> like they're all fine looking except for all the people you just said you would fuck the two people this is a huge cast zanita's so cute though she's so cute i don't think that but you know what face i was like oh she and like tommy gillas were so cute (laughs) you god you god i hate that so much (laughs) okay should we go through song by song now Yes. Um, I, Rock Island slaps. It's so freaking great. It half grabbed me and half pushed me away, but I was mostly grabbed. I, say, I did see that in you through your text. You were doing like, a, I don't know how I feel about this kind of thing. <laughs> you were kind of going. like the first one where they're on the train, right? Yeah. Yeah. But after that, we move. That wasn't a sentence. Uh, after that, we move <laughs> right along to Iowa Stubborn. Which is that introduction song. Yes, which is hilarious to me. Yeah, right. <laughs> So it's good. so funny because the Midwest is just not like a mean place to be. I was like, we're gonna tell you that we're you're, we're glad to have you, but you'll never hear it again. This is the only time. Yeah, <laughs> just the imagery of it is so great. <laughs> it, yeah. yeah, it's pretty funny. The way they do it, I think, is what makes it good. Yeah, a strong song for me. Yeah, it was it was enjoyable. I wasn't upset about it. I, again, I just was like the Midwesterners. Like most Midwesterners are so hospitable i don't think that's true about iowa necessarily oh do (laughs) when you get like iowa indiana like the ones that are up there you do with like minnesota and you get more like like idaho too i don't know if i mean i've never been to iowa i have no plans to ever go there so i can't necessarily (laughs) speak from personal experience um isabel you're from arkansas that's sort of in the same right (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think Arkansas identifies more with the South than the I was going to say, okay. yeah, yeah, Arkansas is in the South. Also, like, the U.S. is so weird because I feel like we don't actually, like, directions don't actually matter. It's more about history, right? And so Arkansas yeah. is, like, the South historically. And so they're pretty, like, classic Southern 
charm type of place. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it really, I, didn't, I mean, I don't think it's the same thing as Iowa at all is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> uh, well, after Iowa stubborn, we have you got trouble, which just is so hilarious. It's incredible. It's I love that song. It's uh, so it's, funny. <laughs> it is. It, it is referenced so much in pop culture. It is spoofed a lot because <laughs> <laughs> the source material is so good. Christina, you've seen Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, right? Yes. I haven't seen it entirely, but I've seen most of it. In the first season, yep. when, uh, what's her name? Rebecca, Rebecca is doing the lawsuit with the cold water in the apartment building, the no hot water, which means cold showers. This is what that is. <laughs> this, that's directly what it was referencing. <laughs> um, it was just so funny. And it was, it was hilarious too, because we like enter in and Ferris Bueller gets his room and the clerk is like oh it's greg and he's like it's harold hill now and so we immediately are like on harold hill's side even though we're kind of already off his side and then he walks in and he he was so well cast he did such a great job so part of matthew broderick is not normally i don't think the kind of physical like he doesn't necessarily have the physicality that you would normally cast in a role like that um, it would be more of like a, like Hugh Jackman is supposed yeah. to play him in the revival. Someone who's like big and like hot and would convince you to buy like a bunch of stupid instruments. But yeah. I think that that can be a little uh, intimidating, a little dangerous. Yeah. Because then when he like pursues Marion so aggressively, that yeah. looks scary and gross, especially when you pair it with like Charlie, who at least in this movie, like hits on Marion pretty aggressively. And then it makes him look pushy and scary and mean. But when you have him, like, Matthew Broderick is just so chill about it. He's just Mm -hmm. so like, oh, like, Mayor, your finger, you have all the makings. Like, he's not like, oh, Mayor, your finger. Like, it's not so (laughs) chill-about-y about it. Yeah, it is so good. It's so good. It's just very, um auctioneering is essentially what he's doing he's like yeah and it makes him look less of like a predator to kids yeah it's he's more relatable on because it's so much like let me take your little boy and let me take him for like weeks at a time to teach music and then not teach you know it just makes it a little less creepy it's the think method i like how they start off that uh the pool or i don't know what the song called the pool table song because he's he like asks his friend marcellus like what's changed in this town lately <laughs> you know, yeah. what can I demonize <laughs> well we got a pool table instead of a billiard table he's like that'll do I just thought that was so funny like he's you're... very good at what he does yeah he, it just it really sets the scene like this man knows what he's doing and he knows how to like create a conflict in the town and I thought it was... which I thought also was additionally funny because historically a billiards hall is not necessarily a place where you go to play like pool a billiards is historically like um a gambling hall and then they used to have like a gambling with chickens kind of thing like before before well, times that is the the line that he's taking yeah exactly oh, it starts with billiards yeah exactly you know. and so i think well i think it's just like a fun historically like correct thing that they go on because they he they have a pool table a pool table is not necessarily a billiards table a billiards hall is different and so like they can have a billiards hall which can be a den of sin and then you get a pool table which just increases it's it's something to do while you're waiting for your your bets to like go so i just thought it was like a fun little like they they kind of hint at that yeah and just the imagery that they use like oh has your son been like rebuckling his knickerbockers below the knee (laughs) is he memorizing jokes (laughs) (laughs) 
using words like swell and so oh my god old man. <laughs> swell killed me that got me so hard <laughs> matthew broderick just looks like all of my uncles as well you did tell me that <laughs> was yeah. you texted me and i was like cool <laughs> but like Yeah, I expected for some reason that he was going to be, like, this very handsome man who just, like, no one could resist. But he really isn't. He's just as, like, any Joe Schmo on the street. I think that also makes his, it just makes him all that much more impressive, Exactly. And it the, the people in. is just that much more peaked because it's, yeah. like, he's not just writing on looks. He really is intelligent. Yeah, yeah, he's really good at what he does. And he's a great, he's a great wordsmith. T rhymes with P, with rhymes with tree, which... P I'm sorry, what? P, <laughs> which stands for trouble. P-NAF? Sorry, what? <laughs> that really was almost the lyric. You got trouble. I got no notes. If anyone watches The Simpsons, I don't know what season it's in, but if you watch the episode with the monorail salesman, also a direct spoof of this, probably my favorite episode of The Simpsons. It's <laughs> have to go do some homework and watch. No, it's so good. He's got the whole cha- town chanting like, monorail, 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 monorail. It's very good. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. So after he got trouble, we got the piano lesson. Which yeah, he follows her home. Which is a secret, secretly a banger of a song. Amazing. <laughs> the He's one that so she good. and the mom sing. Yeah, with the kid who's like practicing <laughs> piano and then they like sing as she I Neither has anyone else in this town. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's really funny. I immediately was set up to love the mom. I love her so much. But also, we have to talk about the fact that Matthew Broderick follows Kristen Chenoweth all the way fucking home. And it's very not okay. I know that it was different times. But, like, it was creepy as fuck. And, like, I know that he's a small, unintimidating man, but she's an even smaller, very tiny woman. (laughs) Very small. Very small with a skirt that's not going to let her really run. I think that the way this, like, movie was filmed, because it's, like, 2003, right? But it kind of looks, like, old school, and it looks like a stage as well. And I think it made everything, like, a little bit less serious. Like, (laughs) I knew what was happening was, like, not okay. Like, her getting followed and stuff. And I was like, it's theater. I mean, you know, I wasn't, like, threatened. I wasn't, like, afraid for her. uh, That's... in that way. That That's exactly why I think Matthew Broderick was the right choice. Because if it had been like a Hugh Jackman type who is like six foot five, it would have been scary. Is he really six foot five? No, he's he's big. Um, <laughs> like if it had been a more like, yeah, if it had been physically a intimidating man. looking man, as opposed to Matthew Broderick who does not. And granted, people that do not look physically intimidating can still be physically intimidating. That doesn't excuse it. Of course. But, a sequence like that would have been would have set off more red flags for me if it had been anyone that was not him. And of course, in real life, if it was anybody, this would be unacceptable and not okay and like yeah, terrifying. But it's it's also unacceptable it, now. But yes, absolutely. Yeah. But I'm just saying that the way the context of the movie and the way that it was filmed and the, like all of it, I wasn't convinced that she was in trouble. So I think they did a good job. Of yeah, and he does like sing some songs later that indicate that he's you know not like a sexual predator if right. anything like um, that's not his main flaw <laughs> <laughs> so i just wanted to be known for i just googled kristen chenoweth she is 411 yeah she's, she's really small. under she's five feet tall yeah which i didn't realize like i thought she was like maybe five one but somehow 411 just under five feet is insane to me and my other note was at this point like 
we're supposed to believe she's 26 and she's like squarely in her 30s so i don't think we're really supposed to believe she's 26 that was like a one-off line that they mentioned towards the very end and i was just like oh that's just the yeah, only we're supposed to know that she's a spinster <laughs> Yeah, I was like, oh, that's just the only number that we've thrown because Harold Hill says something about, like, it's been 26 years and you've never been in the footbridge, which I assumed that meant that was how old she is because she doesn't seem like the kind of lady that has traveled very much. But it could just be a number. I was led to believe that they were being played older in 26. They were definitely being played older, but, like, we were supposed to believe that they were younger, especially because she has an eight-year-old brother. Yeah. And her mom and her are the same visual age. I don't think that's true. They don't tell, they don't really explain. I was so confused about the relations and Beth and Marion's family. I was (laughs) like, oh, she, he's your brother. And then I could, it took me a while to figure out that Amaryllis was just some student that she was. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I didn't I didn't realize I was like wait is this your daughter I was I didn't I didn't understand and then they don't really go back to like the huge age gap between Kristen Chenoweth and Winthrop at all so yeah that's where I like maybe uh, if, if that's the case then yeah 26 checks out but if she is already like she was hanging out with that miser and we're unclear if there was a romantic relationship there yeah, that probably wasn't even though the ladies say that there was because they like to gossip but if that were true, then that would indicate maybe she's a little older, but it, it's a little unclear. A little blurry. Two interesting things about Kristen Chenoweth. One is that she got her musical theater degree at OCU, which is in Oklahoma, which is the place where anybody in this part of the country goes to school if they want to do theater or anything like that. So that yeah. was, she's like a local like theater hero around here. Oh, yay. And the other thing is that the outfit she was wearing, I was like, she was wearing this, you know, that like tie she was wearing at the beginning and that like polka dot like dress thing. Yeah. Like, I was like, wow, I hate that. (laughs) (laughs) My mom was like, that's them trying to show that she's a part of like the suffragette movement because I guess that was a thing. They would like women who wanted to show that they were a part of like the movement of getting women to vote and things like that wore those ties uh, to be like, we're liberated or whatever. Christina also mentioned that to me in a text. Um, yeah. There's an actual like vote votes for women sash being worn by one of the women in the end. I saw that too. Yeah. The, I saw the one like vote thing. So it's pre-1920. It's pre the 19th Amendment being ratified, which congratulations to, to us for being women 100 years after... <laughs> Women earned the right to vote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so piano lesson, a song, it's real short, but is, it turns into a banger at the end. <laughs> and then we go into Good Night, My Someone. Which is a, such a boring song. You know, it's interesting because that's the genre of song that I would also normally be like, I don't care. But a lot of the love songs that they sing that I would normally categorize as snoozers. I think that they're just, like, simple enough to be beautiful. It reminded me of the song, like, what's the song? I don't remember which musical it's from, but the one where they're, like, instead of counting sheep, count your blessings. Do you know that song? I almost, I almost know what you're talking about. Was it singing in the rain? Anyway, it was the same kind of, like, sweet sort of, like, relating to a young kid and trying to help them and and like somehow helping yourself as well you know yeah like, it was just you kind nice. of teach a kid something and you end up teaching yourself something yeah and it was, it was nice and simple it wasn't too long i i think it's nice it's the song i sing when i want to pretend like i'm a soprano even though i never have been <laughs> and i never will be <laughs> <laughs> no i thought it was sweet but i also i'm not really 
just the whole sentiment about like waiting for someone is a little yeah I guess Um, it's just a hammer home that like yeah she's a spinster but it doesn't like she's not really weighed down by it too much yeah you know yeah she's a liberated lady that's something I admire about her where even though the entire town is like you're never gonna even though her mom is like you've got to marry anybody that walks by (laughs) (laughs) and she's like I just I don't and she's I have my standards yeah but yeah good night my someone fine mixed reviews yeah (laughs) um well next we got the got trouble reprise into 76 trombones the reversible jacket the hat can we talk about that yeah (laughs) we can (laughs) he just turns his jacket around now he's wearing this like music jacket and then his friend like tosses him the hat and it's like this black cat and then he like pops it out and it's a musical hat yo the showmanship in this because this is when they're all in the like auditorium because yeah. it's there's some sort of like it's got the mayor's wife well, yeah doing like the thing played by molly shannon which is perfect casting and four scorn <laughs> he's also victor garber is also perfectly cast yeah i love all of his little phrases or <laughs> not a poop out of you he means poop. <laughs> I didn't know that I loved Victor, Victor Garber. I oh, you know. love Victor Garber. <laughs> yeah. I'm always about to show you Annie. Like, Annie is always, like, the next one I'm about to show you before something better comes up. And he is Daddy Warbucks and the Annie that's good. Yeah. With the one that also has Christian Chenoweth. <laughs> Wouldn't you know it? <laughs> oh, I haven't seen that Annie. In oh, the, the Annie movie. with Kathy Bates and Alan Cumming and uh, Christian Chenoweth and victor garber that shit slaps that shit slaps but i got a lot of annie vibes from this like all the kids dancing and stuff oh yeah the part part with the little girl where he like sits next to a little girl and they like do the like yeah on the risers that was very that was like the little girl and annie who like annie sings about tomorrow too yeah the one with the name molly (laughs) (laughs) i gotta say this like nine minute dance break it it if this was a moment where I was like, I'm in love. I love this so much. I could have was... gone for like 12 minutes. I could have. Well, it. this was where Matt had the first like, why is this still happening comment? And I was like, shh, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it was just so enjoyable at every point. The choreography is so, it's not like super crazy choreography. It's just good enough. It's a lot of that. It's yeah. like an elbow thing. It's a lot of, it's very formative in my choreography style. That's something yeah. I'm going to come back to a lot. There's a lot of and jumping think, on and off desks. Yeah, and even more than the choreography, it was like the formations, like how people were like placed. It was like less about what they it's were doing. And more clean about as hell. It's, yeah, oh, it's God. very clean. <laughs> and how they use like the the auditorium seats and all of that. Wow. Yeah, it was great. And like, I didn't know that I knew this song. And throughout it, Matt kept being like, do you ever have this experience? And I'm like, the entire podcast that we started is this experience. Yeah. And then, <laughs> Where I'm like, oh, I didn't know I knew this song. And then Alana's like, yeah, it's from this. <laughs> it's fucking slaps. And as much as I want to be like, it's annoying. It's not. It's enjoyable. I'm trying to think what makes it different. Like, because it's it's literally like a nine minute dance break. It's so long. It's and I so would, long. I would cut none of it. It's all good. I, I all, I find it all to be. Yeah. They go into the, like the locker rooms and it's good because they're playing in the lockers. They go into the classroom and it's like a fun time and they're on the desks. And, and it, it, it follows the, 
yeah they come out of the lockers and they're like doing also they just looked like they were having a good time i was like I yeah to- that's a lot of it um matthew broderick looks like he's having the time of his life and they follow the really good formula where it's like all the kids dance and then there's like a girl's dance break and then there's like a men's and then there's dance a, break oh my god the men's and- dance break gave us such newsy vibes i like as soon as that happened i was like that's why i watch musicals is for the men's <laughs> dance break like that's the thing that gets me men dancing mm. yeah right and then you <laughs> and then we go to like the kids and then there's like an interlude where it's like the one little girl doing like the cute little thing that all the other kids join and then they all like travel and then it's like the same thing again but it's just such a good formula i also thought it was like a really good setup for the idea that despite him being a shithead he's like bringing so much like joy and like these kids are having a good time you know, yeah like, the fact that he does actually change their lives for the better yeah <laughs> like it, on I accident like, <laughs> like sort of set that up right then and yeah I feel like it was it tracked i guess that helped make it track it is the i mean it's it's not quite the moment but it does yeah it does spark the instance of like now he's on board with Winthrop and once he wins over Winthrop that's what wins over Marion yeah um, and then after this song is like not to jump out of it too early but when he forms the barbershop quartet with the dudes on the yeah. board that's the other moment where like that's all yeah. it takes to win this town over it takes one second it was so good so I do want to say like I think part of the magic of this movie is that it is a children's movie for children and I don't it does think have that's children. necessarily true it has well you could let me finish <laughs> well i don't think it's made for children well it's made to, it was made by disney to put out on tv for kids it's made to be digestible by families essentially and it's it has children in it which i think is like where the like kids aspect comes into it but it's not really like perf- there's not a lot of like children acting like there's winthrop and he acts like a little bit in the second half he gets like a few more lines here and there um, and he does fine, but, like, it's not us watching a bunch of shitty child acting, you know, which I very much appreciate. Um, and it easily could have gone that way. Instead, we have, like, a really tight dance routine with kids, which is hard to do. Yeah, you could tell that this movie got a budget. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the fact that this cast is stacked. It had to have funding. Yeah, and there was, done. even just for 76 trombones, there were so many sets. <laughs> there were so <laughs> many <everywhere>. sets. <laughs> it was so good. Yeah. It was so good. Incredible. Um, and then they leave and we're introduced to Tommy Gilles officially, I think, and the mayor's daughter and Ferris Bueller gives him ice cream money to take the mayor's daughter out trying to solve the dilemma. <laughs> and it's a fun little like slapdash interactory thing. Yeah, even if he was going to steal everybody's money, just the way that he like saw something in Tommy Gilles, you know? He, like, changed Tommy Gilles' life for the better. He gave him a chance, you know? He had, he got the town to give him a chance. Yeah, there's a bit of, like, working class uh, elitism happening because, like, there is, like, the the middle class to upper class, like, mayor and townspeople who are all, like, at the town's meeting, and that's Tommy Gilles who is there because school's out and he doesn't have to work right now, but his parents work down at the quarry or something like that, and it's just, like, and they're all, like, you're trash because you your parents work full-time at the quarry and it was a very interesting like small class dynamic that I thought was like snuck in there you know yeah kind of important and I also liked the commentary of like if you tell somebody that they're just a bad person like for their whole life 
they're gonna be bad, you know, and all it takes is, like, somebody telling them that they're good to, like, make them good, essentially. Yeah. I mean, I thought that was really nice and wholesome, and yeah, they kept that up, like, and it, and it wasn't just, like, the one time when he was, like, no, Tommy's good. He, like, stood up for him consistently, which was, yeah. yeah. I have <laughs> in my notes, I don't remember when this was, but I guess at some point, Matthew Broderick, like, said goodbye by putting two fingers on his hat like this. Do y'all remember that? When <laughs> no, but uh, that, that's very much, like, something that I do where I'm just, like... No, but, like, on the tip of his hat, like this, he was, like... <laughs> like, left. like, he was tilting his hat to someone and then leaving? Well, he didn't tilt his hat, though. It was just, like, he went like this. <laughs> it's just performative. It's just because he's such a cool motherfucker, you know? Yeah. Like, he doesn't even need to, like, like, need to, like head nod. Just, like, what? What is this? <laughs> just his, like, soulful eye contact is all he needs. Yeah. Anyway, next song. <laughs> um, Sincere, which is the first barbershop quartet. Oh, so when good. He, when he's teaching them how to sing, and it takes three seconds for them to master it he's like he's like i don't know one note from the next and then he's like oh you know yeah and he's just like yeah from now on you'll never see one of those men without the other three and but they've been enemies since kindergarten (laughs) not anymore (laughs) that's the power of music baby first note that ice cream shop looks sick as hell i really (laughs) really want ice cream from that ice cream shop Second note, the first guy with the, like, deepest voice, the lowest notes, hot, very cute. Not hot, but, like, if I had to choose amongst the town people and it wasn't Tommy Gilles or the black guy in the train, it would be him. But he is a lot lower on the list than the other two. I've been running commentary of the the order in which Christina would fuck these men. (laughs) That's, of course, on the contingency that Tommy Gilles is a 24-year-old, 17-year-old, right? Yes, it's entirely contingent on that. Because 17-year-old is no good, but 24-year-old, 17-year-old is good to go. Anything less than, like, 22, I can't really justify in any part of my brain. I agree, and I'm 23, so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, any other thoughts on Sincere? I think it's probably the weakest of their Barbershop Quartet songs, but it is just the thing that starts it. That's the thing that won Matt over the most. He wasn't on board. Like, he ended the movie still not being happy with wasting his time. But he was like, I'm glad that we got more of the barber- barbershop quartet. Oh, yeah. They're extremely important to, like, they most of the songs. so good. Following. Yeah. <laughs> also, like, the plot being allowed to develop. Like, <laughs> it's almost like a, um, a play on, like, the nar- Narcissus myth, where they, instead of, like, looking into a lake so long that they turn into a flower, they just get distracted by their own voice. Is so long if they form a boy band. Yeah, no, it's exactly the same. They turn into one unit instead of four individuals. So after that, we have the sadder but wiser girl, which is a confusing song. I loved it. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. Amazing. <laughs> which song is this? I am lost. It's, it's the one with in the bar. Oh, sorry. It's the one with the beer with the head. I think I was just focusing on how much head was on that beer. We watched just that clip like three times you're like what is happening with that beer <laughs> my mom thought it was fake like saying she thought it was like a and that no liquid came back but no it was just a lot of head on that yeah. beer. yeah and well the thing is too is like they turn away and then you see him with like half of a cup of beer and no head and then you have a full head of yeah. be- like beer in the glass again like they cut away so many times and the glass is different and then you have like 
a small it's just an insanely weird beer um this is truly not where i thought this conversation was <laughs> when i mentioned this song this is not what i thought you'd spend the majority of the time on <laughs> it's well this song is about like him not wanting to be bogged down essentially so sort of yeah that's what's confusing about it concept because it's i mean it's called the sadder but wiser girl and he says all most of the lyrics are like i don't want like a blonde like bimbo whatever i want someone that's like seen some shit it's sort of the message of it at the end of the day uh, what i got is he wants somebody who doesn't have these like high expectations that are unreachable because it's just something that they've imagined it's like he wants a woman who's like actually had some experience and so like knows how like what is realistic to expect from a person you know what i mean it's like the it's like when women have like a list of like 80 things that they want and it's like Ugh. you mean me when i was 13 yeah <laughs> yeah so part of why it's confusing is because they've completely set him up to be like he's just like a smooth con man looking they use the word canoodling a lot marcellus yeah, Marcellus makes it sound like he has a history of just like in every town he has like a lady that he fucks and then he dips on to the next one. Yeah. Which is why this song kind of comes out of left field for me. And like it's a very fun like bouncy song and he and Marcellus and the piano player get to like sing a little bit of harmony and I like at its core I find it to be a very fun like jaunty tune. The piano player, wow, I love that. I have um, no memory of that. I just remember he, like, how much head was on that beer. And starts playing. <laughs> but it is nice that the song is about how he doesn't want just, like, meaningless sex. Yeah, right? But, but like, I don't... Which is kind of why it doesn't fit his character. Half of but it, it does. Is, like, I just, I just don't want to be tied down also. Like, it is half the song where he's just like, I just don't want to be tied down. I don't want to have to, like, do all the meaningless stuff and blah, blah, blah. But, like, it's, it's half of it is he's, like, a fuckboy and half of it is he's a lost soul who just well, needs to be fixed by the right woman. So I think that the, ha- the, the happy medium in there is that he doesn't want to be tied down, but he doesn't want it to be, he does, like, when he's just, like, ha- canoodling or whatever, he wants someone that also is on the same page as that. Like, he doesn't want just, like, a dumb bitch that he can trick into sleeping with him. Like, he wants someone that's on on board. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think is the happy medium there. And he's had 102 counties to figure this out. <laughs> that's why it's confusing. Like, that's why the message is, like, all over the place, where it's weird that, like, you would think he'd be way more of a dirtbag in this song than he is. I don't necessarily land in the same place as you, but mostly we can all agree that that beer was insane. (laughs) And if you don't listen to the lyrics, the song was very fun. (laughs) I don't think it was quite in Matthew Broderick's range. I think it was a little low for him, but that's okay. I'm still thinking about the content of that song because I agree with you. I think it is about just like having somebody on the same page, but I also think it's almost like a glimpse of his uh, yearning for something. I thought you were going to say urine. (laughs) His urine for something more significant. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, he could. I mean, everyone in that town is like up on his dick at this point in the movie. Yeah. Like everyone yeah. is on board with him, and he does want Marion. And you can argue that it's like Marion is not is not on board with him yet, though. Y- yeah, well, not yet. But you could say that it's part of the sexist thing where he just wants like someone to chase, and he wants the person that can't have him. I also wasn't convinced that he even wanted Marion. Like at that point, I thought that he was just trying to get Marion off balance or whatever. That's true. Yeah, because um, she was yeah. the one with a brain. I think, that, I think it took him a little while to actually 
find out that he was genuinely interested in her. Yeah, and yeah. it is a song about how he wants a girl with a brain. Yeah, yeah. He's like the opposite. Or I guess he is the scarecrow in the Wizard of Oz. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> like tangentially the way that he wants a brain. <laughs> yeah. Next song? Yeah, next song. Um, pick a little talk a little slash good night, ladies. Incredible. I loved it. Honestly, so good. Right? Everything about it. <laughs> My mom the hats were incredible. As a kid, and I had no idea it was from that. Yeah, like, right? Anytime not I first... gossip about something, she'd just go, pick a little, talk a little, pick a little, talk a little. Well, your mom would do that? Yeah. That's so cute. <laughs> we have to talk about these ladies. We have to talk about, like, the how ridiculous this song is. Ballzack. So... Yeah. Ballzack. <laughs> I was uh, I was astounded by how often they were able to get away with saying that in this movie. <laughs> well, like Balzac is a person. I know, but <laughs> they said it in a way that was Balzac. <laughs> That's I understand I that it's an author. <laughs> they also Sorry. just gave her, aside from Balzac, very generic, like big name authors and composers to enjoy. So it was hilarious that they chose Balzac because it was. Yeah, it does have to fit into the time signature. <laughs> Yeah, nothing rhymes with sack like sack, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought that was interesting how they told the story of Marion. Yeah. Like, that's when we learn about the guy who gave the library to the city, but the books to Marion. Which, it, 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 that is just, like, a weird detail that they throw in there. It doesn't really matter. It explains, like, the politics of the city and why people are upset with Marion. Like, it's not Yeah, about yeah that's about it. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and the way she got what she has and how they just don't like it. I mean, yeah, and this is still when, like, fast and loose women were, like, despised. And it's insinuated that she's a scarlet lady. And they don't like that she's profiting off of it. Like, she has job security because of it. Um, and, yeah, she, like, truly there has no friends in this town. And that's the whole reasoning, is we're getting the background to that. So, yeah. It is a bonkers song, but it's very enjoyable. I think that the reprise is better, because it does show a lot of development in everybody compared to this one. But we'll get to that. Um, it sounds beautiful when compared with good night ladies like when they're played over each other oh my gosh that was which amazing. it shouldn't be like it shouldn't be beautiful but it sounds great <laughs> it was amazing uh moving right along mary and the librarian this is when he's in the library and trying to like woo her and she shushes him so hard and all of the kids in the library are like really hardcore like pairing up and watching them try to have sex with each other so yes and no <laughs> <laughs> you're right that there is a lot of coupling up that happens um it is i think purely for setting up for a dance break and i think really yes more than that <laughs> yes well I liked, honestly, I really, I, I wasn't expecting to like the simplicity of the humor of him just popping up randomly. <laughs> like, it was so funny, and I don't know why. Like, she, yeah. I think it was because of the way uh, Kristen Chenoweth acted it. Like, <laughs> like she was like, what? Yeah, <laughs> and it's funny, and just, like, his big threat is, like, I'm going to drop these marbles. I'm going to yeah. drop <laughs> I forgot a bag that. of marbles onto the hardwood floor <laughs> in your quiet library and that's the huge like threat <laughs> and i just it did not escape me that it was another ball sack 
Yeah, so I know that it didn't. <laughs> it didn't hit me, so I'm glad you mentioned that. <laughs> but also um, on the musical level, like the when every time he sang Marion and like like had the uh, vibrato that went into it, I was like, I was not okay about it. It was so beautiful. It right? So and beautiful. it's just something about like, it's so chill, but so like, but it's a huge production number. That's sort of what's so genius about it. What the vibrato is not it's called vibrato when you yeah with his voice yeah because it's yeah. nice like sustained singing that that song was right in his range unlike the sadder but wiser girl yeah. and the dance break was so cute so cute it so was, quiet i mean <laughs> are we talking which dance break are we talking about because really the only flashes i'm getting of this is sorry i had to jump bless um <laughs> bless. <laughs> um the only like remembrance is like I can't remember really the tune, but I'm remembering the beginning of the song, threatening of the ball stack, and then the um like blue lit fairy tale portion of it. Yeah, and, I just have to mention that part too. Yeah. yeah, and and like I know that there's like the pairing up and that plays a role, but I can't remember like a big dance break of like the children. There is one. There's a lot of running around. Um, I believe a, you. It's a lot of like. I, th- I think it's a funny joke because a lot of the dance they do is like soft shoe, w- w- like it would be tap choreography, but it's quiet because it's a library. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a lot of like the gentle soft shoe, like on top of things. Um, I'm almost thinking that I had so much to text you during this that I missed a lot of the dance break. It's brilliant. So you should go back and watch it. <laughs> I think they did a good job of like, she really did resist and like was like, no, I don't want to like, you're not don't be loud in my library yada yada like grumpy little lady and then I think it was nice to have that like fantasy moment where she was like but what if I let go or whatever yeah (laughs) it's a nice got it back and and how she she's like tossed back by him or something and she looks up and all the like the kids are like (laughs) after his stunt double like did like a back handspring (laughs) up to the railing That was ridiculous. I was like, that was absolutely a stunt double. My mom was like, I don't know, Matthew Broderick's a great dancer. I was like, that was a no! stunt double. <laughs> and then he jumped 10 feet in the air. <laughs> <laughs> no way. No way. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's a nice example of, like, again, it would be creepy if Matthew Broderick was a more, like, physically intimidating man because it is a lot of, like, what could be trapping her into dating him. But instead, it's like fun and cute and even though it is like a pursuit yeah and i think you're right that the little like waltzing in the middle does soften it up too yeah Um, but again i think the overall theme of like how much pursuing he does is like a little bit of a problem but i agree that i didn't i wasn't like uh so disrupted by it that i couldn't like enjoy it yeah like it was cute not not that was cute but the number was cute the yes, number was yeah. very cute. And I liked all the lifts. Like, that was why they were doing all the coupling up. Was It was just yeah. a vehicle so that they could lift each other and do beautiful ballet, which I'm always into. Yeah. Who's the choreographer for this? Because it's amazing. I don't know. Let me look. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was Disney, and it was it was shown on ABC, so there's a good chance that it was probably, like, Kenny Ortega, <laughs> who does everything. <laughs> Anna White, O-N-N-A is the first name, and then White. Cool. <laughs> uh but yeah song's a banger yeah <laughs> yes, so cute so cute you so gods i you gods. don't agree but like <laughs> his face was so cute so after that is gary indiana oh 
I love the Irish mom so much. <laughs> I'm glad that you do. Because that's where, like, that's the, the, she's like, oh, where are you from? And then he tells her Gary in the end, right? Gary in the end. Yeah. And then she sings and it's not very good, but they have a fun time together. Yeah, it's mostly just to set up the fact that he's fucking lying. Like, he has a whole yeah. song about a place that he's not actually from, they didn't actually go to. Yeah. It's a bummer. I mean, not a bummer. This is a pretty irritating song, in my opinion, but it is, like, one of the most famous ones from the show, <laughs> so... I don't like that song. It's a big audition song for little kids that try out for shows. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't really care one way or the other on that, yeah, that song. That's also how I feel. This was just the one that he sings and not the one that Winthrop sings. And so I care less about it because at least Winthrop's cute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. But moving right along to My White Knight, which is another like love song that Christian Chenoweth sings. I wrote, I have a note that's like, all she's looking for is a man lacking in toxic masculinity. That's all she wants. <laughs> yeah, you know, same. <laughs> yeah, just like some humble guy who's not trying to be an asshole and just think about himself. I have vague memories of this because there's no big like dance number with this one. Mm-mm. No, it's just her. It's just it's a it's a park and bark. Yeah, I just meh. It's fine. <laughs> I've never heard of that before. I love it. <laughs> it's a stand and sing. <laughs> It's a song that I would normally be like, eh, snoozer, but I think it's pretty. Yeah, Yeah, I think it's pretty, and I think it's, I think, again, I think it helps the plot. I think it's useful to hear her just be like, I just want somebody simple and kind, and somebody who's like, will make an impact on my life and care about me. Yeah. She's not about the drama, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Well, right after that is the Wells Fargo wagon, which... (laughs) fam that song crack slaps me, yeah <laughs> crack me the song heck up is a banger <laughs> i didn't know wells fargo was like fedex before it was yeah <laughs> yeah that was the whole thing I about that. yeah and that's when i get the instruments right yeah that's when i get the instruments but everyone is so excited and that's when marion comes on side yeah. yeah, that's when Marion finally figures out that he, she does actually like this man. Yeah, because yeah, he changes Winthrop's life, man. Yeah, Winthrop is just so excited, and he we can tell that he's excited because he says more than three words. They give him every S, S, every S word they could possibly think to give an eight-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> <They give him. laughs> yeah. Um, and it's adorable. It's a really cute scene. Um, I totally, I totally was like, okay, I get why she's on side with how he's training this little kid, but I don't know if that's enough to like, wet my panties for him, you know? Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not the phraseology I would use, but yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway. After that is It's You, which I'm having a hard time placing. i um, also... I think it's just another quick little barbershop quartet is singing after oh. they came to him and they were like, where are your papers? And he was like, I'll get them, but real quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a little. <laughs> it's, it's one of the ones in the ice cream shop. I think um, he was like jamming on something with Tommy Gillis. He was like, I'll get you a sarsaparilla or whatever. And then oh, yeah. the people, the board comes in and they're like, where are your papers? And he was like, they're right over here. But hold on, let's like try a little something. And then he <laughs> sneaks out. Um, because then we got the Pick a Little Talk a Little reprise, which they do yes. in the ice cream shop. Yes. 
And it's fun. And Marion has friends now. Yeah, and just some of the things that they say in the reprise, some of the lyrics are insane. <laughs> where they're just like, golden shimmer, <laughs> my main floor. <laughs> like, it's just what? That- I don't think I paid close enough attention to really realize that they were saying those things. It's because, oh, prior to this, there was the rehearsal that yes. Marion was playing the piano for. With her wild white that dress, guy. and they have the... the and um, it's the, like, trickle, 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 Grecian yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, It's where the mayor's wife is, like, living her best life. And yes. Harold Hill, like, pulled her out onto the dance floor to dance. And then they see Marion, all the ladies see Marion in the ice cream shop, and they're like, oh my god, you were so darling dancing with that boy that we all want to fuck. Yeah. Um, which shows that you really do have a heart and it was so great to see you like live in your best life. And it was like, you were dancing on like a moonbeam floor and your eyes were glittering and come hang out with us. Yeah. That was really cute. I do have to like, once she's like accepted a man into her life though, like, okay. I think that's part of the function. Well, I think that's part of the joke of it. Because like, the mayor's wife, she's not like a real person. That's not how no, she's incredibly <laughs> problematic. She put together the um, imitation of the Native American dance. Oh yeah, I just blew yeah. up by that. <laughs> that Tommy Gillis blew up correctly. Yeah. Um, that was why he went to. It. That was yeah. why he went to get him a sarsaparilla. Oh yeah. right, we skipped that part. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, that was way. That was Flag Day. That was yeah. That was way earlier. That was the part where everyone's like, "Tommy Gillis is a troublemaker." Right, yeah, right, we've right. come around to Tommy Gillis at this point. Yeah, we have. We blew right. I just I fully repressed that. Yeah, it's because <laughs> it's horrible and bad. But anyway, speak a little shit a little. Yeah, that's the name of the song. <laughs> speak a little shit a little. Speak a little shit a little. <laughs> yeah, so that's the speak a little shit a little reprise. <laughs> Perfect. Good. That's when they do the Goodnight Ladies, right? Um, it's where we do Lighter Rose, which is close enough. I don't know what Lighter Rose is. It's another barbershop he... song. Um, okay. yeah. He was like, he like pulls out a piece of paper and he's like, I have a recommendation right here. You'll never forget this woman's name, Lila Rose. And then they're like, oh, Lila yeah. Rose, I'm home yeah. again, Rose. And so they're singing like the beautiful. Yeah. And then Marion is also singing, Will I Ever Tell You? Which is like her simple, like, dream of now, dream of then. And she's like talking about like, oh, will I ever tell you that I actually love you? That's her yeah. coming then, in terms with that while well, paired at the barbershop. Yeah. Is this when they end the songs and they trade the little, like, she ends with 96 trombones? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> How many trombones? <laughs> 42. With 96 trombones after she speak a little shit a little. <laughs> I just have 96 bottles of beer. <laughs> well, it's truly only half of that because most of that was just head. <laughs> anyway, Lida Rose, will I ever tell? I think is very beautiful. <laughs> Just another opportunity for Christian Chenoweth to hit soprano notes, which I'm fine with. I'm into that. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. She's a, be- she's a beautiful singer, but I honestly could take it or leave it, the song. I, was- I think it's the strongest of the barbershop songs. Oh, sure. the Rose? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Well, next song is the Gary Indiana reprise, which, like, <laughs> uh, which oh, your little boy. So cute. Not good at hitting the notes, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> so cute. You know, it was at this point when I remembered that I hate children acting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have a note in mine that says Matthew Broderick is the weakest link. 
<laughs> I don't know what it means, but I think it's me being like, men don't need to have this big of a role. <laughs> it's like, like, objectively, he's, I don't think he is the weakest link at all. He carries the whole <laughs> I think I was just like, why are we talking about men this much? <laughs> That's true. That's fair. Yeah. I, you know what? I agree. <laughs> well, I the know. next song is the Shapoopy. <laughs> <laughs> Not about the Shapoopy. <laughs> Which is just a like mid act two. Let's get the energy back up. <laughs> right, right. I forgot about <laughs> Christina's dead. Christina died. <laughs> Um, I love this m- moment for Marcellus in the limelight. Yes! Because he spews a bunch of nonsense, but it's so funny. Yeah, the lyrics of this song are no good, and I'm choosing to ignore them. It's not so about... Bad. So bad. It's all about, like, the more you pester a woman to date you, the more likely she'll date you. Yeah, also, like, a woman like who kisses on the first the date is a whore. Is usually a whore. Yeah. <laughs> Women who kiss on the second date, also whores. Women who wait to the third date, sometimes not whores. Yeah. Um, but lyrics aside, the song oh. does seem to function as the town's, like, electric slide. It's a dance that yes! we all know. We're all stoked to gather together to dance the Shapoopy together. It was so good. Um, but it's a very delightful dance number. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's very enjoyable. They say shapoopy so many times, and it so made me laugh times. so many times. Which is a very silly word. It is they're so very, silly. They're very much appealing to my just, like, simple-minded humor, and I <laughs> really appreciate it. Yeah, you know, this well, was very much a, like, we had a few slow songs in a row. And then I think <laughs> really after this part is where, like, they try to advance plot, and the plot just doesn't matter. Um, and I think the thing that's charming about this as a whole is that, like, it does appeal to, like, your very base, like, enjoyment. It's very bright colors. It's, like, a lot of very fun songs with silly words. Um, but it's not true. Like, there's plot holes big enough to drive a Mack truck through. Like, it's Are just... There? If you think in you, in any world that she would know that he's a con man and still support him and fall in love with him like maybe one of those no i think that there's a world where that happens (laughs) i absolutely not i also think that she's like educated enough to to like see nuance and appreciate nuance and yes but i don't think that she would then like cover for him and like just blindly trust that he's gonna do the right thing because there's it, it literally goes from her like hating him and resenting all of his come-ons to her being infatuated there's just a middle ground she changes her brother's life immediately he changes her brother's that's the right pronoun he changes her brother's life immediately her brother who has been like in a state of grief for two years and haven't spoken a single word all of a sudden is like a totally well-adjusted kid and she's the one that sticks up for him at the very end where she's like, all of a sudden you guys have flipped to like a mob mentality, but look at your kids. <laughs> like, look what he did in three weeks. Like, clearly he came in and changed everything for the better. Like, the town is, but yeah, you're out of money, but other than that. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, I, I, I just don't see these two women existing in the same world i think there is a moderation that has been overlooked and i think like in a world where she does fall in love with him and does like recognize that he's a con man and like covers up for for him 
she is a very, it's a very strong woman who has very strong opinions and a very magnetic moral compass, I guess, that points her in the direction she believes is right. And so I, I do agree that like, yes, she's happy that her brother is no longer clinically depressed because no one wants to see a clinically depressed child. But I don't necessarily think that translates immediately into like infatuation verging on the point of like criminal defense, you know, because he's defrauding people. I think like it, it, she can still be in love with him and in, in the world and still be like, hey, what are you doing? I know that you're not telling the truth, but like we are really changing the way that people live here. And I think that this could be like, she doesn't even try to reason with him. There's no conversation that happens. I think it's completely out of character for her. I think I agree with you in this, when I think about the, if she's thinking about the city post him being there, like if he actually ended up leaving, then he really would have left them in a bind, right? Like, because- And she doesn't know that he's not going to do that. Like, that's the thing. He's so far lied about literally everything. He and instead kinda, of being but like, he does come clean a little bit. Like he doesn't come clean until a mob is coming after him. They're like on the footbridge and they've made out, and he is like about to say, and then she's like, Shh, "No, I already know." And she like whips out the paper, and he's like, "What do you mean you already know?" And you didn't say anything. Like he was getting there. Yeah. Again, I don't think that's like in character. Like, or she went from like a essentially like spinster who hates men to a love-struck teenager who'll do anything to protect him it's not really necessarily that she hates men she hates this guy but like and her mother's trying to set her up with anybody that she's not really accepted in the town and she's not really interested in any of the men that are there. I mean, have you seen the men that are there? <laughs> I agree. I'm I not like saying like that she's wrong. It's a a little pawn situation. I don't think it's that she hates men generally. I think it's that she hasn't found a man in the where she is that she's interested in. But also, like, she exists in, her, her mind exists in a world where she doesn't need a man to be happy. Like, she's perfectly comfortable with, like, I have a job that I enjoy, a life that I enjoy, I have a family that I care about. Um, and, like, I am part of a community, and even if, like, that community doesn't accept me as I am right now, there's time. Um, And then we see an entire change of character where, like, I think she turns into someone who becomes entirely dependent on a man for her happiness. I I think think it's great to be... I think it's a little brown. (laughs) Yeah, we don't know what the life would have looked like if Harold Hill left. Yes, but we don't still know. On the same like, note, we don't know she, if she would be sad forever. She probably would have gotten over it based on what we know about her as a character. <laughs> yes, and at the same time, someone who would have gotten over it and like been pragmatic enough to be like, well, clearly he swindled the town and been upset on behalf of everyone, wouldn't put her social like currency and her her social va- like collateral at risk to defend him to that extent. Do you know what I mean? She has a social standing within the town that is already questionable and he's helping her advance it, but her she's essentially staking her reputation on him like owning up to it. And that is a huge thing to do. I think it's very out of character. She's someone who very clearly weighs risks and rewards and it's a poor likelihood of return and investment. Well, I also think that on the bridge, she's, I understand what you've done. And like, despite all of, the moral obligations I have or moral objections I have to what you did you've done a good thing and I want to defend that and if you need to like 
you can leave. And she's not like trying to say like, you should stay here because I love you. And I want you to like, no, I don't think make my life that. You. But, but he's, he, she does. She's like, I love you. And what you did was good. And you can go like, it's fine. You don't have any uh, obligation. And he makes the choice to stay despite. Yeah. A lot of people are telling him to go. Marcellus is like, get out of here. And she's like, get yeah. out of here. And he's the one that is like, no, I got business to finish up here. I did forget about that. Anyway, we agreed to disagree. Yeah. <laughs> but we also should talk about him coming back to the conversation with Winthrop. Yeah, where Winthrop is like, are you, like, you're a big old, you're lying to me. And he's like, no, tell me. Uh, ask, ask me anything. And I'll be truthful. And he's like, are you a big old liar? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but I... I don't necessarily think that that's, like, I think it is very touching, and I think it's a good moment, and it does, like, establish a connection between the two of them. I, I like it. I just don't think that it is as redeeming as everyone else thought it was. I think it helped Winthrop with his, like, trauma from the situation. Like, he <laughs> easily could slip back into just being a depressed little boy, but, like, having this man explain to him that, like, you know, I think it, it, it would have helped him in a more practical sense for his future yeah i guess it gives some closure if you know he was going to just leave after this but i do think that you know she is a level of committed that doesn't the situation doesn't necessarily warrant if that makes sense it, it does seem out of character from from my understanding of who she is that's um, crazy man <laughs> so, love is very silly <laughs> i mean it's also a musical this is other thing <laughs> I thought it was funny how he got arrested. <laughs> it was really funny. Because like, they were like, funny. <laughs> they were all like, like yelling after him, and then like the crowd was sad and silent, and he just like put his hands up. I know. I was like, what? And he just like, opens the door and put, and they're all just like standing there quietly, <laughs> and they're kind of sad. Yeah, and then it's not a policeman or anything. It's just, <laughs> he's like, here's your handcuffs, buddy. And then, like, Mom, like what? I can't believe that, like, a casually entertained punishment is tarring and feathering. Yes! <laughs> I was like, that is literally torture. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very oh, God, horrible. And feathering. I don't know what level of crime. It seems like, based on the severity of that punishment, perhaps fraud was maybe not a tarring and feathering crime, but I'm not a like, judicial cool. person. <laughs> Well, I also feel like tarring and feathering is an inaccurate historical term because I'm pretty sure it was hot oil that was poured onto people. And at this point in the like early 20th century, it wasn't a common, it wasn't common for um, civilizations to like do that to prisoners. Um, I'm remembering it like specifically off of like battlements of castles. But hold on, I'm gonna look up the quick historics of tarring and feathering. <laughs> but also, I think that it. it- it's a weird punishment because it doesn't solve the problems of the townsfolk, right? Like, no, it's just like, a need for bloodlust. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's all it is. It's like, like an like immediate, he, instant need. He theoretically, yeah, still had really? the money. They could have just asked for the money back. Yeah, like just pay it back. <laughs> or just like put him in debt, or you know, like I just think there Do are more useful ways. Anything to else? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Iowa stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> I just want the drama. <laughs> I loved Matthew Broderick's like acting, like his just just his facial expressions when like <laughs> uh, when Marion's standing up for him in the auditorium and like breaking the thing so he can do the whatever. Uh, was that enough description? You know what I mean? No, I gotcha. Yeah. 
he didn't, like, that was, like, the longest he went without making a noise, but his acting was so funny. Like, he was like, <laughs> wait, what? I can't do this. And then he can't, and it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> he can't, but everyone's like, no! Yeah, it seemed very, like, that felt so realistic to me. Like, everybody is just so proud of their kids for trying. Well, it's funny because in the very beginning, that's fully what he said would happen. When Marcellus was like, uniforms too? Like, are you kidding? Like, you're flying too close to the sun. And he was like, it literally does not matter as long as they have the uniforms. No one's going to give a singular shit how they sound. And that was true. He was so right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I didn't even put that together, but you're right, that is <laughs> the beginning. <laughs> What's the but tarring I... and feathering verdict? Um, so here's the brief, like, dirty of it. I'm not wrong, but I'm also not right. So it is a very, like, historical form of torture, and it was used in different forms in, uh, like, siege warfare. But it also was used mostly as mob vengeance like, uh, and, like, unofficial public retribution against criminals um where people were either like people were stripped naked and painted like immobilized held down and painted with tar sometimes hot but sometimes not and then rolled around in feathers and that did happen you said sometimes hot and sometimes not hot or not hot or not (laughs) um it mostly (laughs) happened in the like early olden times like 1100s to 1600s and then there was a little bit in the American Revolution then it made a comeback in the early 1900s and then the most recent tarring and feathering that has happened was in 2007 a loyalist group in Northern Ireland was linked to the tarring and feathering of an individual accused of drug dealing so it isn't that common at this time period but it is happening some places wow well, the good news is that that didn't happen to him. He didn't. Yeah. As far as we know, he didn't have any consequences. Yeah, he actually got like a like a permanent home and like a yeah, <laughs> yeah, just a slap on the back and a little, anything, little. rewarded for his uh, actions. Yeah, well, he's a good person at the end. So there you go. He got uniforms. So yeah, so that's all. Yeah, that and Barney did a really good job, <laughs> according to his mom. I forgot. Um, so does this bring us to the end where he's officially like he signals them with the think method and then they play they're just ruckus yeah we glossed like, over a good few, yeah we glossed over a few like reprises but it was, the message is there yeah well i think this is like yeah this is where we care about him it was like we get him to the town center everyone comes out in their uniforms he tries to conduct them they make a hullabaloo and every all the parents are just so fucking proud and i was like oh i'm reminded again of why i hate children and most parents <laughs> well it's funny because they play the first introduction is the minuet in g which is the like la di da di da di da that he's been making them think um and they are garbage at that uh-huh. um but then pretty immediately they switch to 76 trombones and there's a pretty instant improvement and in um i'm pretty sure it's 96 trombones but like- whatever <laughs> Yeah, they switched to uh, 9,700 trombones, which is arguably a more complicated tune. Oh, much, much (laughs) more complicated. But I think it's, like, intimated that maybe Marion had something to do with that, right? Yeah, because it is, like, a switch to the parade that's sometime in the future. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And everyone's so proud of them. And I was just like, oh, yeah, parents are the worst, so. Yeah, well... (laughs) What you gonna do? Some things are universal. <laughs> uh, I want it to be made clear that 
I don't like parents. I was gonna. I was <laughs> I gonna say go something on like record to say. <laughs> I, I was gonna say something like, "Please don't leave us if you're a parent." But like, honestly, what when a parent, parent comes is to me, to this? <laughs> what a, your parent did. Yeah, well, I don't know for <laughs> that's true. Um, it's different though. <laughs> when a parent comes to me and holds up like some chicken scratch of their child, and it's like, "Look at the advanced artwork that my Tommy did." I'm like, "Okay, Carol." This is, this is just slobber and goo. I get that you're proud of your kid, but let's be real here. This is not going in the Met, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, but yeah, so that's the Music Man. It was enjoyable. I had a really good time. <laughs> oh my God. I'm so glad that you did. I was so sure you wouldn't. <laughs> Isabel, do you have any final thoughts before we let you go? Oh my gosh, I really did love this musical, and there are just so many slaps, so many bangers. I, I specifically, talk a little, pick a little, just really got me. I think you mean uh, speak a little, shit a little. <laughs> speak a little, shit a little. <laughs> <The surprise. laughs> but yeah, no, I thought it was amazing. I think there are a lot of things that you have to like gloss over to make it like acceptable to watch today. But <laughs> yeah. overall, <laughs> yeah, I think it's just like a fun, just a fun musical to watch. Yeah. Yeah. The consensus I'm hearing is that it could have been a lot worse. Yeah. <laughs> it, could been a worse. <laughs> it could have been really bad in a way. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> thanks for letting me, like, having me on the podcast. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for joining us. Anything you want to plug before you go? You can yeah, say no. Plug. No. <laughs> right. Um, if anyone has a theater job that they want to give Isabel, reach oh, out to us. Go. That's a good thing to plug. Anything in theater admin, let me know. I'm here and I'm ready. And I Yeah. You can reach out to the It's Broadway Bitch uh, Gmail and we'll get that to her. So. <laughs> I think that's a good place to let you go. Yeah. All right. Bye, y'all. Love you. Bye. Thank you. you. You're welcome for listening to It's Broadway Bitch. If you like what we had to say, then please like, rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you have thoughts, feelings, opinions, or stories about theater or what we talked about, you can email us at itsbroadwaybitch at gmail.com. That it's Broadway Bitch with no I in bitch at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at it's Broadway Bitch, no I in bitch. And you can follow me, Christina, at chit chat for pictures of my cats on Instagram. And you can follow me, Alana, on Instagram and Twitter at Alana Fine Woman, like Feynman, but I'm a lady. Special thanks to Katie Braverman for designing our cover art and Jack Larkin for making our theme music. You can follow them at katie.braverman and at jacksterlark on Instagram and check out the episode description for links. I'm Alana. I'm the Broadway. I'm Christina. I'm the bitch. And we'll see you next time. It's